Well, good to have you here this morning. Welcome to Living Waters. If you're here with us for the first time, my name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. And Mother's Day brings a lot of joy. Also brings some sorrow as well. Brings some challenges, I'm sure, in some people's minds. And so I just wanted to to say um, Happy Mother's Day from us as a church. And I think I'm going to just read to you a excerpt of an article from Elise Fitzpatrick. Some of you know who she is. She's a very prominent theological writer of uh, women's resources. She's written tons of books. She travels over the United States speaking. And she wrote an article just the other day on Friday about Mother's Day. And she captured, I think, the heart of what I would want to say, except she says it much better. Amen? So we're just going to let her say it. And we'll post the entire article um, in an email to you guys later today or, or early next week. But this is what she said about Mother's Day. She said, Mother's Day brings a certain amount of angst. Can I get a mama amen? And she says, it sounds like this. I wish I were a mother. I wish I were a better mother. I wish I loved my mother. I wish my mother loved me. I wish my mom were still alive. I wish I hadn't aborted that child. I wish I could have children. I wish I knew who my mother was. I wish I hadn't given my baby away. I wish I would have a chance someday to be a mom. I wish my children loved me. I wish they could write to me. I wish my children were still alive. She said, it's on Mother's Day. It's the one day where I am forced to look at either my own shortcomings, resulting in guilt, right? Or I have to look at the shortcomings of others who fail to appreciate me the way they should, resulting in discontentment. It's the one day moms are told over and over that their identity as women is not rooted in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. But Mother's Day is often filled with sentiments about our own ability to be the source of life and goodness for all people. She said, so whatever happens on Mother's Day this year, remember this. You moms are loved. You are forgiven. You are righteous, not because of anything you can do, but because of what Jesus has already done. Go ahead and receive praise and gifts with a smile, but remember that these paltry gifts aren't anything in comparison to one drop of that precious blood. Jesus' work has made you his, and he has given you an eternal identity. You are a beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Happy Mother's Day. Amen? It's pretty good. So we are in our Living Hope sermon series. Uh, this is our series through 1 Peter. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
So if you have not already turned there, you can take your copy of God's Word and open it to 1 Peter 4. And I think the main question that Peter is getting at, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 this morning, is what do I do when life is painful? Have you asked that question before? Some of you have asked that question this week. What am I supposed to do when life is painful? What do I do when I have to suffer? What do I have to do when I have to suffer for Jesus? What am I supposed to do? What's the game plan? Um, Peter will say lots of things in this passage, but he'll mainly say, don't be surprised. When you are called as a Christian to walk through something painful, some suffering, some squeezing of persecution for the name of Jesus, Peter is mainly going to say, don't be surprised that it's happening to you. We live in a culture today that is always surprised, don't we? We're always surprised about anything that goes wrong or is hard. We live in a culture that is surprised often when things happen outside of the control of the person. So Peter says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised. I love the word beloved because he's about ready to say some hard things to Christians. And he starts it with beloved. That's a good thing. We as Christians, when we hear something hard, we need to be told that we're loved. So the next time you speak to a brother or sister in Christ and you have a hard word to say, call him beloved. Maybe not beloved, you know, but say I love you. So Peter says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Now this is the word for furnace. The hot furnace. Don't be surprised when you are stuck in the middle of this hot, burning furnace of a situation. When it comes upon you to test you. That word test is interesting. Circle that. We'll come back to it. As though something strange were happening to you. So the word surprised in the Greek, it means to be shocked or to be astonished. All right, by the novelty of something. So if you watch any kind of sport, particularly soccer or basketball, you know what happens when an athlete gets blown for a penalty. You know what happens. You know how they react, especially the more dramatic athletes that are out there. They get a whistle blown on them, penalty for you. The athletes, they, they live out this word, surprised. What? What? They're shocked. They're astonished. They can't believe it, right? What do you mean? I didn't touch him. Ref, I didn't touch him. I didn't do any of that. Soccer players are the worst because you cannot even be touched. <laughs> Amen. And they just, they just, they, li- they literally have a 10-minute conversation with the ref. You might have seen this in youth sports. In youth sports, the kids are great. It's the parents what do you mean that's on my kid? I keep my kid never does anything wrong ever in the history of the world. Get out of here. So Peter is saying, don't be shocked. Don't be astonished. 
when you have to suffer for the name of Jesus. Christian, don't walk around like an athlete wondering what is happening to you. Some of you need to toughen up mentally as Christians. Because God says we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen to us. You start naming the name of Jesus, living for Jesus, proclaiming him, sharing him. You better not be surprised when the fiery trial comes your way. As if something strange were happening to you. See that phrase at the end of verse 12? That is a kindred word to surprising earlier in the verse. So that is a kissing cousin kind of word. So basically what Peter is doing is he's laying a double emphasis in verse 12 on not being surprised. So literally you could read it like this. Don't be surprised as if something surprising were happening to you. See, he's double emphasizing this so that Christians will get it through their mind and their heart that if you are suffering for the name of Jesus, you better be ready for it. Now, we can learn something from moms here on Mother's Day, can't we? When, when, when you meet a newer mom, they're always overwhelmed, aren't they? Newer moms are always like, I don't know what's going on with my life. I need counseling. I don't know what is going on with this baby. It's spinning up everywhere. It's, my life is a wreck. I, de- I haven't slept. I don't even know You know, if I have clothes in my dresser. I don't even know. <laughs> You've all met the new mom. Okay? As time passes and progresses, we, we meet more experienced moms. And unlike the young mom, Older moms aren't surprised by anything, nothing, right? They are like vacuuming, doing dishes at the same time, disciplining their kids, educating their kids, driving them everywhere, and it's just like piece of cake. I'm not surprised at any of this. And if you see an experienced mom, you just stand in awe of them, don't you? Because they are like the experienced Christian. They are just like whatever, nothing, literally nothing surprises me anymore. All the moms say, amen. So what's Peter wanting us to do? If he's telling us not to be surprised by our trials, what is he telling us to do in replacement of being surprised? He's telling us to lean into our trials. That's what he's telling us. This passage is all about leaning into your trials and getting some rest, okay? R-E-S-T, this is an acronym, and this is probably the first time in my preaching life that I have ever done an acronym. You're welcome. I was putting my points together, and I'm like, oh, I think I have an acronym here. First time ever. So we're on our virgin voyage, right, with the acronym, because uh, I don't do acronyms. So, so get some rest. Lean in to your trials for Jesus, and get some rest. And can I get a mama amen again? Get some rest. You need to get the other kind of rest, like the sleeping kind. So what are these, what are these acronyms? What, is this, what do these letters stand for? Okay, well, let's, let's just get to it here. All right, these, these acronym letters stand for rejoice, enjoy, see, and trust. Okay, if you're going to lean into your trials for Jesus, you're going to have to rejoice in some things. You're going to have to enjoy some things. You're going to have to see some things. 
And you're going to have to entrust your soul to someone. So let's get right to it. Number one, we are called to rejoice. If we are suffering for Jesus, Peter is going to tell us that we need to rejoice in Christ's sufferings. Verse 13, but rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice, this is future tense now, and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the first thing you need to do when you are suffering for the name of Jesus is you need to rejoice that you are being counted in a parallel track with your Savior, Christ, who also suffered. So we are to rejoice. This idea is to have a joyful attitude as a habit of your life. Christian, how many of you are rejoicing this morning as a habit of your life? Peter says you need to rejoice. Now look, if you're suffering for Christ, that's a hard thing to do, rejoice, right? I mean, we could see a lot of answers coming our way from the world when you're suffering. You know, you've probably heard it or said it yourself. I'm going through something hard. I just need to endure this. You ever said that before? I just need to endure it. I just need to get through it. Some of you might have had somebody tell you, well, hey, you're going through a hard time. You know what you need to do? You need to push through. What is this, a workout? What are we doing? We're pushing through, right? Just push through. Okay, I could get that. What about survive? You're going through something hard? Survive, just survive. Honestly, just keep breathing. Just keep going to mealtime and eating. Because sometimes the pain is so real that all you want to do is cry in a dark room by yourself for however long it takes you. But rejoice? Peter is saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What in the world? How am I supposed to do that? Rejoice in my suffering for Christ? How do I do that? Well, you do that by the power of God's grace. Amen? You don't rejoice because it's really convenient for you to rejoice. Biblically speaking, we're going to have to reckon that word. Verse 13, that word rejoice, we've got to reckon that true in our minds before it's ever true in our experience. So when, we, when Peter says rejoice, he doesn't mean smile and do jumping jacks and jump up and down and say, yay for me, I'm going to go get a coffee and a piece of cake. No, he, he's saying reckon it in your mind now. You, you don't see it now. Reckon the joy that it's coming down the pike. And how do I get that joy? Knowing that Jesus did it before me. Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what, class? Suffering. There's a fellowship with Jesus. There's a connection with Jesus when I suffer. When I suffer for his name's sake, there's a connection to him. When I look at the cross of Christ, I feel connected to him. And I take joy in that, not because I feel good. I take joy in the fact that I am walking with my Savior, Jesus, in this 
road of suffering. And I'm going to rejoice because I'm going to be glad in the future when his glory is revealed. When Jesus returns to take over heaven and earth, we're all going to be happy on that day. Amen? Yeah. So by faith we say, I'm going to choose joy now, even though I don't feel it, I'm going to choose it because I'm connected to Christ's sufferings and I'm going to be connected to his future rule and reign where joy will be unending. So if we're going to lean into our trials, we got to rejoice. Rejoice in Christ's suffering. How are you doing this morning with rejoicing in the sufferings of Christ? It's a challenge. Second one, not only do we have to rejoice in Christ, but we have to enjoy the intimate ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have to enjoy the intimate ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. (laughs) Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you ever read the Bible and laugh? I do. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. What in the world are you talking about, Peter? The word insulted literally means to be denounced or to have insults heaped on you. Names. This is really encouraging because every Christian normally thinks about physical violence when they think about suffering for Christ. Most of us think about, okay, what am I going to endure physically for the sake of Jesus? What am I going to have to go through? We're talking about insults. You've heard the the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You heard that at every elementary school recess you've ever been to. It's garbage. It's garbage. Listen. Words hurt. Words hurt. Sometimes you'd rather take a hit than take a word. Okay. So we're supposed to rejoice and now be blessed when people say horrible words about us. Think about what Jesus had to go through on the cross in Mark 15, 32. As all the religious leaders walked by the cross, they looked at him and they said, ha! He saved others, but he can't even save himself. If he's really the Christ, let him come down from the cross. A total mockery of our Lord and Savior. Might have well been our words, huh? That was us talking to Jesus. So if we've been insulted for the name of Jesus, which I hope you have in your life as a Christian, been bold enough in your life in your walk with God, to be insulted every now and again. Well, we should be blessed. Why? Why are we blessed? Why does that, how is that even possible? Why are we blessed? Because when we are insulted for the name of God, or the name of Jesus specifically, the spirit of glory and of God comes to rest upon us at that time. You want to know when the Holy Spirit's really going to be working in your life? Be really close and empowering you and near to you and comforting to you? Do you want to know when the Holy Spirit does that? When you're being insulted for the name of Jesus. 
We Americans have it turned around so much. We want the Holy Spirit to be really at work in our lives when everything's going great. When, when money is in our pocket and, and trials and tribulations are gone, that's when, when, when we want the blessing. God, bring the blessing now. Bring the Spirit of God close to me now when everything is going great for me. That's when the Holy Spirit is not there. The problem with the American church is that we don't know how to suffer for Jesus. And we've been wondering where the Holy Spirit is. Where's the Spirit of God in the churches? Where's the Spirit bringing revival? Where's the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God comes when believers are stepping out to share Christ in such a way that they are being insulted. We will only experience the powerful Spirit of glory When we are being insulted, it's at our lowest points when the Holy Spirit shows up in our life. Can I get a witness? It's when we are, we have nowhere else to turn when we are at our lowest. That is when the Spirit of God comes and does his greatest thing. You got to learn to enjoy it. Enjoy being overlooked. Enjoy being the butt of the joke. Enjoy being left for dead spiritually. Enjoy being separate from the world. Enjoy being persecuted by the world and everybody that is operating in its system. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and he makes himself powerfully known. Can't you relate to this? It's when we're at our lowest is when Jesus is at his best. Stephen experienced this in Acts chapter 7. Do you remember him? The early deacon who could really preach. That deacon could preach. And he got stoned to death for his testimony of the gospel. And as he was being stoned, his eyes looked up to heaven and he saw God and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and he said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. You want to tell me that that's not the Holy Spirit resting powerfully on Stephen's life? So church, if we're going to lean into our trials for Jesus, if we're going to lean into being, our, being suffer, suffering for Christ, we have to enjoy the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Learn to enjoy his closeness as you endure words that are insults. Now, verse 15 is kind of just a bridge. Verse 15, I just want to make one pastoral comment about it and then move on. It says, let not none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or meddler. So Peter just kind of breaks into all this talk about enjoying it, enjoying the work of God. And he says, oh, hey, and by the way, if you are a meddler or a murderer or a thief or a sinner and you're making stupid decisions with your life, Don't cop that at church and say, I'm suffering for Jesus. (laughs) Okay, Peter is saying there's legitimate ways to suffer and illegitimate ways to suffer. And Christians, you need to know the difference between the two. If you come into church saying, woe is me, I'm suffering for Jesus. And you're making dumb decisions, that's on you, not on Jesus. Can I get a witness? Come on. 
a meddler, you know what a meddler is? Someone who's an overseer of other people's problems. You ever been a meddler in your life? Mm, yeah, probably. Don't meddle and sin in other people's lives and bring your junk into somebody else's life and call that suffering for God. That's not. Peter's just making a point. Okay, we digress, we move on. <laughs> point number three is see the purifying process. If we're going to lean into our trials and our suffering for Jesus, we need to see the purifying process, verse 16 and 17. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, we, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? So Peter continues, and he tells Christians to view their suffering as part of a purifying process within the church. You see verse 17? The time for judgment is to come and begin in the household of God. So Peter is saying, if you're suffering as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. Glorify God in that. Be awesomely joyful that you get the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus. If that sounds weird, read the book of Acts. Just read the entire book. And you will see the apostles and the followers of Christ rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. So Peter's saying, don't be ashamed if you're suffering for Christ. If it's really for Jesus and not your sin, don't be ashamed of that. Glorify God in that. And then he says, for the time of judgment is to begin in the household of God. Now, what's that all about? Some of you might be saying, hey, pastor, I thought judgment was, re was, was what I got rid of when I got saved. What do you mean the judgment of God is in starting the household of God? Like, what's that all about? That's scary to me. Does that mean I'm not saved? No, that's not what Peter's arguing. All right, if you are born again and you truly know Jesus as your Savior, you are secure for all eternity because John 10 says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never let you out of his hands. Praise God. Your salvation is sure. But what he is saying is that in the process of time, there's lots of people who profess Christ. They say things. They profess, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've been born again. I've been saved. All those things. And Peter is saying, look, that, that profession will be judged. Time is always the tattletale, is it not? Lots of people profess Jesus, but you know what proves it out? Time how do you handle suffering in your life for the sake of Christ? Do you run away from it? Do you vamoose? Do you get out of church? Do you get away from everybody? Or do you lean into the truth of Jesus? Do you cling to him? Do you love him? Do you get closer to him? That's what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, if you profess Christ as your savior, the trials or the tribulations for the name of Jesus are the tests from God that test the genuineness of your confession. Do you remember verse, one, verse 12? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Your suffering for the name of Jesus is a test from God to see whether your profession is real or not. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32 says this, when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so we aren't condemned along with the world. If you profess Jesus as your Savior and you stand for Christ and you proclaim Christ, you will suffer in this life. That suffering is the test of the genuineness of your faith. That works itself out in time so that when you die, you're not afraid to die. You're ready to go be with Jesus because you lived your life in a way that honored him and glorified him and you're ready to just go meet him, go home. Trust me, I would rather have the difficult life now and have heaven in my future than to be in this place that Peter says for the Gentiles and the sinners who don't believe in Jesus now, go with the flow of the world and it's easy now. And in the future, there will be judgment and wrath and hell and punishment. I don't know which one you'd rather have. I'd rather have the difficulty on the front end. Can I get a witness? So, you got to see the purifying process. You have to see it and say, okay, this is part of a purifying process in my life. God loves me. He saved me. He brought me to this place. And in order to lean into my trials, I have to see the bigger picture and just embrace it and say, God, do your work in me. Number four is trust. So we did rejoice, we did enjoy, we did see, and now we do trust. Verse 19, trust God with your soul. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. Entrust their souls, or if you're looking up, or if you're taking notes or looking up words, it's a banking term. It's a finance term. It's basically putting your money into a bank for safekeeping. That's the word entrust. So what Peter is saying is, believer, you need to take your soul and go to the spiritual bank called God, and you need to entrust your soul to God in his bank and say, I trust that you're going to keep it safe. I trust that you know what is best with my money. So here is my soul, God. Take it and I am entrusting that into your care. I'll come back in 30 years and hopefully it has made 5.5% interest, right? Or more. But the idea is what Jesus said in Luke 23, 46 Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So we are to entrust our souls to God in the suffering. Now, when you and I are suffering, what is our fleshly instinct? Our sinful instinct is to get out of the suffering as soon as possible, right? Instead of entrusting to God's bank our soul, we're like, nope, nope, I am going to take this and God, I'll give it to your bank later, but for now, I need it in the bank of me. 
until I get my stuff figured out, until I handle the problem, and I'm going to just keep my soul here, and I'm going to get out of the trial as quickly as possible, then when life is good, butterflies and rainbows and beautiful sunny skies and all that, then I'll come back to the bank and I'll put it in your bank, God. I say all that to say, think about your sinful flesh. Your sinful flesh will want the opposite of what God is saying. That's why Peter has to say it. Because he says, believer, entrust your soul to God. Just give your soul to God. He's got you. He has the situation. He knows what you're going through. He is a faithful creator. Now, the word faithful creator is only here in the New Testament. It's not anywhere else. It's a very unique term, and it means author of everything, designer of the universe. So if you think about God creating the Milky Way and our solar system, and then there's over a billion known galaxies. Think about that. That'll blow your mind. God is a faithful creator. He is the God who created every single planet, every single star, every single thing. And he has them all on a rotation perfectly the way he wants it to be. And because God is this amazing, large creator God, basically what Peter is saying to us is saying, if God controls all of that, and he controls it by the word of his power. And if Jesus controls it in Colossians by the word of his power, you can entrust your soul to him. Does that make sense? God's a lot bigger than you and me. He knows exactly what he's doing. So there's been a Mars rover. Maybe you've heard of it. It's gone to Mars. We in our human excitement are discovering Mars. How cool. The rover went up. The rover landed successfully. The rover is now giving us awesome photos. And if you look at those photos, amazing worship to God when you see these photos. Like, oh my word, God is so big and awesome. And then we, we fly our helicopter. There's a helicopter that flies around Mars. And look at us, we're flying helicopters around Mars. And it's like video gaming on steroids, right? So we're flying, we're flying stuff around Mars. It's so cool. And you know what? The reports are coming back and they're quite stunning. But NASA's not really giving us the theological report. Here's the theological report. All the images, all the videos that are coming back, they all say the same thing. He's a faithful creator. He's a faithful creator. He's a faithful creator. He's a faithful creator. He has everything in his hands, exactly how he wants them to be. And we stand in awe of that, right? Now, if God does all of that, he's worthy of your trust. So, believer, some of you just need to, like, like while we're singing to close up, you just need to hand your soul to God. Maybe you've been saved for a while, but the most recent persecution for Jesus is really throwing you off. And you need to entrust your soul to a faithful creator. So, we need to lean in. We need to get some rest. 
So the question comes back, what do I do when life is painful? What do I do when I have to suffer for Jesus? And as a preacher, I know every person here is suffering in some way, and I don't minimize your suffering. We shouldn't minimize each other's suffering. We're all suffering for Jesus on some levels, and it's only going to get more intense. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, we, we lean in, and we get some rest. We rejoice. We enjoy. Okay? We see and we trust. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, God. So powerful to our hearts. Lord, I pray for every Christian in this house, and I pray no matter what level of suffering they're undergoing right now, I pray, God, that they would rejoice in you that they would enjoy the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that they would see your purifying process, God, and that they would trust you with their souls. Lord, only your grace can do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is perfected in weakness. So God, we're a bunch of weak believers this morning. So we're going to cry out to you and we're going to ask you to help us rest this morning. And Lord, maybe there's one, maybe there's a person or two that don't know you yet as Savior Jesus. I pray that this morning would be the morning that they, they look at your love for them. They see the blood of the cross dying for their sins, the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, Lord, and that they, for the first time, would believe in their souls that Jesus is their Savior and their Lord. God, we believe you're going to do those things because the Holy Spirit is powerful to make those things happen inside of us. So, Lord, we trust you. Help us respond to you. In Jesus' name.